0: All right, everyone, welcome back to episode six of the Low Side Podcast. My guest this week is uh, Max Lazo. It took some uh, persuasion and some effort, but I finally got Max on. Um, You know, not much to say. Max and I have known each other a long time. Uh, One of my good buddies, uh, probably one of the people I've known the longest since I moved to Wichita and uh kind of established friends here and uh pretty fun for us we got to sit down we actually played around a round of golf before we did the interview he beat me which is typical um i in 15 years or whatever it's been I, i've never beaten him in a round of golf um and i think a lot of our friends could probably say that but uh Got to talk about a lot of cool things, you know, uh, my mom used to, or his mom used to drop us off at the golf course after school, and uh, my mom or his mom would pick us up sometime after the sun had long gone down, Uh, and we didn't really play for score, we didn't really play against anybody, we kind of played against time and uh, sunlight to see how many holes we could get in and and how many holes we could play. So uh, along with Max and my good friend, Bryson Schulte, I think maybe a a small part of my passion and love and affinity for golf was established in, in some of those rounds as a young kid. So uh, getting to catch up with Max was pretty cool. Um, Like some of the other guests, I, I know Max's story. I know, a lot about where golf has taken him and and where his answers would go, but um, just like those other people, I learned a lot along the way too. So um, anyone in Wichita will know the name Max Lazo, and and anyone not from here, uh, I think they'll be interested and intrigued by his story. Um, the guy's a, a phenomenal golfer um and, and we kind of go through his progression from being a junior golfer to a state championship winning high school golfer and and then kind of dealing with some of the challenges that come with with winning early in high school and developing into a college golfer so uh talk a lot about his his trials and tribulations and kind of uh everything that was thrown at him but more than anything um just about how golf has played a part in his life and so uh like i said again for me to catch up with with max was pretty cool um forced him to uh drink a few drinks before we got on here because i i think that was maybe the only way it was going to happen but uh guest number six on the low side podcast every week i'm excited to introduce to you my guest uh and this week i'm excited to introduce to you uh my good friend max Lazo. thanks guys all right uh episode number six now of the low side podcast my guest is max Lazo. took a lot of convincing uh but finally got him on the show max thanks for joining us
1: Glad to be here. A little uh, took a lot of took a lot of persuasion, but I'm here.
0: <laughs> we played golf today, and I think maybe a few drinks helped in getting Max to join us. um But I'm got,
1: looking f- got to get Max to relax a little bit. Looking Max, for- a little tense.
0: Looking forward to it. Speaking of drinks, what were you sipping on today? Playing golf.
1: Tito's and water with a little bit of fruit punch. Mio, that's the go-to. <laughs> If you haven't tried it out there, try it. You'll love it.
0: Did it help your game or hurt your game?
1: It helps my game, but if I get too drunk, it hurts my game. There's a happy medium there. I started to feel it starting to hurt my game about hole 18, so it was perfect because that's right when we are getting done.
0: <laughs> I guess the first question I would ask, being that I know who you are and your story, for anyone who doesn't know is what's your first memory of picking up a golf club
1: first memory picking up a golf club i was in florida with my mom dad brother sister whole family vacay we went to this little nine hole course i had a seven iron and a putter that's all i had put them in my dad's golf bag didn't want to have to pay for me to have my club shipped so i just put two clubs in my dad's bag is a little part three course, hit a little seven iron on this hole, had about a ten footer for birdie as the as daylight was going down, drained it. That wasn't my first ever time hitting a golf shot. It wasn't my first time ever being on a golf course, but it's my very first memory of being on a course and doing something like I could be good at this game. And it was I'll never forget it. I rammed the putt in hit the middle of the hole, popped up in the air about five inches because it was hit way too hard and dropped in for a two.
0: So who got you? You mentioned going with your family. Who got you started playing the game of golf? Definitely my brother. If I didn't have my brother,
1: I wouldn't be in the position I am today in golf. I would never have been as successful as I was in golf. I wouldn't have played in college if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't have pushed myself as hard as I did if it wasn't for him because I saw he was obviously better than me when we started out. He was older. He could hit it further. But I always tried to beat him, and I knew that I couldn't beat him when I was younger. It's kind of like Tiger Woods versus Jack. They were in different time frames, but you could try and outdo what he did. So if my brother shot... In the 60s, when he was 15, I was going to try and shoot in the 60s when I was 14. Or if he won his first tournament at a certain age, I was going to try and outdo him constantly. And we just pushed each other. And if it wasn't for him, I mean, he was the one. I mean, my dad introduced him, so I guess you could say my dad introduced both of us. But Matt was the one that got me going. So,
0: so older brother. How did uh, how do you think that helped you as you got older?
1: it just helped me be more competitive um, he is still the the guy that I text like before a big tournament or something just like for a little motivation little little pick me up little pearl that I can take with me the first tee when I'm a little nervous because I know that he's done it and if he's done it he knows how to do it and he can give me some advice as to how I can be better and I mean, I, I honestly don't know. It's kind of crazy to think if, like, he never existed. I might not have ever even picked up a golf club or played the game. It...
0: So, it's I, I know your brother, and we were kind of that age, a little bit too young to, like, be, like you said, on the same playing field. So, he was kind of like the guy that we looked up to. Um, what was his path golf-wise? his path he
1: was always a pretty good athlete so anything he picked up he was pretty good at he was a really really good baseball player and it was honestly kind of a 50 50 choice for him between baseball and golf in high school because they're both playing the spring as you know and he ultimately chose golf and i think he made the right decision but his path was he looked up to guys that played at capon in the past like pete krasnick and cory novascone guys like that and uh capon's golf coach was ed crewell who if any of you are unfamiliar with him he's kind of a legend around the wichita area as far as high school coaches and you always just wanted to play well for him and well saw the potential, and he just pushed Matt to get better and better, and uh, that was Matt's. I mean, because Matt didn't have the influence of an older brother like I did, so he kind of had to push himself, and uh, he's probably more competitive than I am, if we want to like be honest with ourselves. I'm more a little more laid back. He's a little more cutthroat. So I think he's just so competitive. He just wanted to he just wanted to win at anything he did so when he got into golf he was like I just I want to beat everybody so that was kind of his upbringing
0: that's a you bring up an interesting point you know if you're from Wichita if you're from Kansas and maybe even the Midwest you know the name Ed Cree well, especially if you pay attention to high school sports I think every region, whether you're from the Northeast or the Southeast or wherever you're from, has kind of that figure in high school sports. What did it mean at 14 years old to play golf for a guy like Ed Creewell?
1: Ed Creewell is one of the most undercover legends of high school sports in the country. He had more state championships as a head coach than any other coach in the country ever. Um, Granted, it was football. He won about 10 state championships, and he won over 25 in golf. Um, But he just was one of those coaches that he wasn't a big rah-rah guy. Um, He was just a, a guy that you wanted to come in after your round, and you wanted to hand him your scorecard with a good number on it. And have him look at you and just tell you good job and give you a pat on the back because you knew if you did something to please him that you did well that day because he had coached so many good athletes, so much talent, and he just said all the right things. His uh, number one quote was uh, Before we'd go out and play, he'd say, Well, you know, we got a good team here, Uh, we're playing against a lot of other good teams, and you know somebody's got to win today, and if somebody's got to win, well, hell, it might as well be us. And that was like his closing statement at every tournament. And when he just—he's just one of those guys you just want to please. And I think that's a, any coach; their number one quality is you want to do well for them. You just want to please them. And he was ultimately that guy, and he did it without banging lockers or just going crazy and trying to get you all pumped up he just did it with a calm and uh very subtle demeanor and he just and anyone that ever played for him will tell you the same thing he just there was something about him he was almost like uh, lou holtz he was just like a little guy he wasn't intimidating but you just there was something about him that just made him great and he uh yeah, he was he was the best. Growing up in middle school knowing that you had the potential to play on his team in high school was just all the motivation you needed to be great and to play varsity and to
0: try and be that guy for him. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, growing up and thinking about playing with him, when did you know like hey, I'm pretty good at this. Golf might be in my future and it might take me to high school and beyond. Uh,
1: Probably going back to what we were talking about earlier, just playing with my older bro and some of the guys near his age that were successful in high school and that had colleges looking at them and just playing with them every summer and being like within shouting distance of them, even though I was younger and didn't hit it as far and uh, probably wasn't as skilled as they were just because they had a little more experience than I did. But still able to compete with them if I played good and I, I could be right there with them and I think I shot my first sub-70 round ever I was summer going into my freshman year of high school so I was uh, 14 years old and uh, I'm not trying to sound cocky but not many 14 year olds can shoot under par in the 60s and uh, that right there just kind of told me and uh, my first couple weeks of high school uh, we had a pretty good high school team my freshman year, and after the first four days of practice, I was number one in qualifying. And I was just, you know, everyone was kind of giving me crap, like, oh, you're going to choke today. You're not going to be number one throughout the first week of qualifying. And I was like, oh, we'll see. And I ended up dominating that day, and I was number one by like three or four shots, like as a freshman. And we had some good players that were upper class on that team, and I was just like, man, I'm only. Fourteen, I could, I could be the best player on this team, and uh, when you do stuff like that, uh, it just kind of gives you the. What were we talking about earlier? Like Justin Thomas, he had all the, he has all the talent in the world, but once you start winning, you just get this mindset like I am good enough to be out here, and once you start to believe that, I mean, it's just the ceiling is limitless. Like just, you just. You never stop improving so it's kind of like that i guess you know you just you compete against other good players and you do well against them and that just shows you that you can be good at that and that's the same for every sport but
0: so i know people i know you don't like to live in the past i know people you know don't like to dwell on past accomplishments but i know that i think it parlays perfectly you won state your freshman year yeah with Ed Creewell, I think his last that year. That was his last his year. His last year ever coaching yeah. um, before he passed away. Walk me through that day and that tournament.
1: That was a crazy day. So I went into the day with no expectations. It was my first state tournament. I was 15 years old. I had turned 15 two days before. And I teed off on number one pretty early tee time. It was a really windy day out of Auburn Hills in Wichita, if you've ever played Auburn. They have a Monday qualifier for the web.com out there every year, and uh, it's a pretty good track. And I started off pretty well. I was one over through six. Number seven's a par three. I made a triple. So I'm four over through seven, I par eight, and then number nine's a par five, and I hit a good drive. And I was in between laying up and going for it, and I just said, you know what, go big or go home. I I literally, like, told myself that. And I hit a three-wood for about 240 because I was (laughs) just a little guy. Didn't hit the ball that far. Three-wood from 240, about 30 feet. Two-putted for birdie. Made the turn at three over. Didn't think it was that great, you know, three over. But it was a really windy day on a really tough golf course. And Creewell, Ed Creewell my coach picks me up at the turn to shuttle me from number nine to number 10 and he asked me he goes well how you, how you doing I go I'm pretty good he goes uh well what'd you shoot that side I said three over and he had obviously like been watching other groups that day and guys on our team and guys that they were playing with and knew how high the scores were and how tough the course was playing that day and so at the time, I didn't think my three over on the front nine was that great. And he knew it was really good just based off how other people were playing. He kind of looked at me and just patted me on the back and was like, keep it going. And I just knew that, like, it was a good score. And back nine, I think I had one bogey. I three putted number 12. Um, and I had eight pars. And when I came in signed my card for 76, I didn't think four over par would be in contention, but... As tough as the course was playing, as windy as it was, I had to wait like two hours for the rest of the groups to come in because I was one of the earlier tee times. And uh, as the scores were coming in, you know, there's good players that I knew were good players that are signing for 84, 85. Uh, and I'm like, well, shit, if that guy shot 84, fuck, my 76 might I hold up. Someone else came in with a 76, so I know I'm tied with at least one person. And as the scores just kept coming in, 76 just remained the low. And I waited two hours before our playoff started. And some some guy was trying to tell me, he's going, man, you, you were going to be in a playoff for first. You need to go hit balls, stay loose, stay loose. I'm like, oh, I'm good, you know, because at the time I didn't hit balls before I played. I was superstitious, and uh, which is stupid to think. Literally, the shot that I hit on the first hole in tournaments back then was my very first swing of the day but I was just superstitious, and Crewell heard that guy tell me that I need to go hit balls and get loose, and I just kept telling this guy, like, dude, just leave me alone. I'll do what I want, you know, and Creewell was like, yeah, he's fine. Just just get away from him, and uh, went into the playoff, was fortunate enough to win, and uh, it was the last year that Crewell was the coach for Cape Mount Carmel in golf or in any sport, and Just to go out on top like that uh, with him as the coach, and I'm not trying to sound cocky or anything, but I I really think he liked me probably more than a lot of other people on that team. And so, like, I knew it made him super happy, and you could tell just when I won that playoff how happy he was for me because he saw me grow up. I used to come out and watch my older brother play when he was on Cape, and I would just bring my putter and two golf balls out with me, and I'd put on the putting green, and I'd watch Matt, and I'd go back and put on the putting green. He just knew that I was uh, motivated, and I wanted to be great in, uh, in golf, so that was kind of fulfilling, and I don't know. I feel like I sent him out with a bang a little bit, so that that day was pretty special. Was May 21st, 2007. I'll never forget it. I still got the scorecard in my room with the article from the newspaper uh, and a picture of me standing next to the flag on hole 10, which was the playoff hole that I parred to win the win the playoff, so pretty special. It was 10 years ago, but I'll never forget it.
0: It doesn't seem like it should be no. that long ago.
1: It was, yeah, time flies.
0: Um. So speaking of winning as a freshman, and I know in the present, high school sports a lot of times seem like the, the ultimate thing. What kind of pressure does that set up for the next three years as somebody who's the guy everyone else has to go beat?
1: It's uh, an interesting question because my sophomore year was probably my worst year ever as a competitive golfer. Uh, I'm not trying to use this as an excuse but when I was a freshman I was about five foot five maybe five six on a good day and by the time I was a sophomore when golf season rolled around I was about five eleven almost six foot and uh, so that didn't really help matters as far as like my golf game and uh, obviously going from not having my own car to having my own car and like just so many more distractions as you get older, you know? I mean, like, I just, when I was a freshman, it was literally just golf, golf, golf. Like, I didn't care. I didn't have, like, I had no choice. My mom would drop me off at golf practice, and I was there until she picked me up, but uh, when I got my own car and I could drive myself to golf practice, it was like, oh, I don't have to stay here. I can leave whenever I want, and, you know, just a a little more distractions. Uh, I went through a growth spurt that didn't help, and I just really struggled that year, and um, it didn't help either going into the season being the defending uh, 5A state champion just with the pressure. You know, everyone expects me to, like, win every tournament after that, and it's like, well, that's kind of unrealistic to think that way because, you know, like, okay, I had a good day back in May of 2007. That doesn't mean I'm going to win every match in 2008, so there was a little added pressure, a little more distractions, you know, went through some physical changes and it all just kind of snowballed into like one of my worst years ever as a golfer it just was sort of depressing out like there was times where i was just like man this sucks and i wondered you know when you're playing good in golf you think you'll never lose it and when you lose it you think you'll never get it back and i just never thought i'd be able to get it back and i didn't know what happened because it was only like a year's time where that happened but uh um i did have some good rounds that year but i just wasn't as consistent and it just kind of sucked you know because you hear those outside voices like oh he won state last year what the hell's wrong with him this year and it's like you know freaking it's just golf you know looking back on it it's silly to think that it would bother me because it's just a stupid game you know that we play for fun and you know but at the time it's your life so it just kind of affects you a little bit but
0: what, what was your process, so going from that sophomore year struggling, obviously freshman year setting a reputation of the kind of game you had, what was your recruitment process like the rest of high school into college?
1: So I always kind of knew that I was like potentially going to go to Washburn, uh, Washburn University in Topeka, Kansas, Division two school, MIAA conference, really good conference for golf. For uh, division two in the Midwest I mean because we only get about eight months out of the year where we can really like practice and hone in on our game just because the weather Um, and the reason that I knew that I was probably going to go there is because my brother went there and I'd go and watch him play in college tournaments and I really got to know the coach really well the coach is a really cool guy Washburn was only about an hour and 40 minutes from home. It was only about 30 minutes away from Lawrence, which I knew is where a lot of my friends were going to go. Only about 45 minutes from Manhattan, K-State, which I knew a lot of my other friends were going to go. So it just seemed like a good fit. But uh, I've never really like, told people this, but I actually had some like really good offers in high school that I just turned down because I was just so set on Washburn. And looking back on it, I kind of regret it. I have a letter... Uh, from Wisconsin when I was uh, going into my senior year of high school, and they were interested in me. They wanted me to come up for a visit and potentially be on their team. Then there was another school in uh, Miami. It wasn't University of Miami. It was a little small school. I think it was like John Hopkins. I don't even know what the name it was. But it was in Miami, Florida, and, like, as an 18-year-old kid, when you have the opportunity to go to a school like Wisconsin, a Big Ten conference school, Division One, or even just a small school in Miami, Florida, but I mean it's Miami, Florida, you can play golf year round you know, it's just I don't know, I kind of, I do think back on that sometimes and just wonder if I made the right decision, but I think I did because I had so much fun in college, but uh, no, it's just weird, you know it's just the paths you take I've never really told people that but yeah, I did have a I did have an offer from Wisconsin I kind of wish I'd have followed up on because I, I feel like That would have been a hell of a college experience, especially the years that I was in college. They were really good at football, and that would have just been a hell of a time. I kind of regret that.
0: I've been to Madison on multiple occasions, and it is unbelievable. I couldn't even imagine being a student athlete at UW for Football and spring and golf and all that. And more than anything, it's just a cool place it, to be. The at. campus
1: just looks beautiful. It's like right off like a, a little like lake or something. Uh, it just looks amazing. Sixty
0: thousand students. Downtown Madison. I forgot what they have a little street down there. It's kind of like the Mass Street of Madison. And unlike Mass Street in Lawrence, where it's just one strip there's like six different roads that meet in the middle in Madison and everybody just goes down there and parties and does <laughs> their own thing. So hey, You're just
1: making me feel even worse you might have, about you this. You might have missed
0: out on that <laughs> um, Biggest difference between college golf and high school golf?
1: The, the easiest way to answer that question is when you come out of high school, most people that come out of high school that play in college are the best part of their high school team, well, When you get to college and you join a golf team, uh, everyone on your team was the best player in high school on their team. So you get eight to ten guys that were all the best player in high school that get to college. And, uh, you know, there's some ego uh, that comes into play as far as just thinking you're the best. It gets very competitive. Everyone wants to qualify because you go to sweet places. We went to California and Oregon my senior year, and no one wants to miss out on stuff like that. So qualifying gets really competitive, and uh, it's just it's just a grind, really. I mean, it's it's awesome though. Like if, if you're a competitive person, you like sports, and you like trying to be the best. It's there's nothing better. It's great.
0: Speaking of competition, and I know I know you personally, so I know your mentality. What do you, What do you think separates people with the mindset like going into a tournament knowing I can win or I can play well versus somebody who might be doubting themselves going into it?
1: Oh man, if I had the answer to that, I'd probably be on like a mini tour somewhere, like making big money. It's that's such a tough. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the million dollar question. There's guys on PJ Tour that wish they could answer that question honestly and truthfully because we've all gone out and played nine holes by ourselves and never miss hit a shot. And you just think, God, why can't I do this like under the gun in a tournament with other people or in front of people? It just. That's tough. I don't know. It's,
0: for for you, what's your mindset walking to the first tee in a competitive environment?
1: In the past, I've created false stories in my head. I've created stories like, "Oh, I'm playing with this guy. I want to play good." Or, "Oh, there's going to be a lot of people checking the scores from this tournament. I don't want to embarrass myself." But in the last like year or so, now that like I've gotten older and I'm out of college and I'm working full time and. I'm just playing in these tournaments really just for fun Uh, I've really just like kind of accepted that you know it really doesn't matter okay let's say I go out and shoot 88 or you know play like crap okay the biggest fear from that is people are gonna see my score and say oh max like what the hell happened to him oh he's not that good or on the other side I shoot 68 and they go oh god there he is he's he's a good player but at the end of the day, after they see your score, two, 20 minutes later, they're going to forget what you even did that day. So you just got to like, kind of remind yourself, like it really doesn't matter. It's a stupid game that we play for fun, and you really should be focusing on, I'm in this tournament, I'm doing what I love, I play. I'm playing a golf course that I wouldn't have the opportunity to play unless I was in this tournament. I need to just focus on on that. I'm I'm meeting really cool people that I'm grouped with, and at the, I'm doing what I love at the end of the day. So what I shoot or the potential outcome shouldn't matter. I should be focused more on the present, you know. And I've really kind of gotten into that mindset the last year, and I haven't had more fun. And years past, and I have this year playing in tournaments because I've taken that added pressure off myself by creating those potential outcomes and false stories in my head instead of just living in the moment and just being like, man, how, how cool is this? I'm playing Kansas City Country Club and the Kansas Amateur with Matt Ewald and Jacob Bishop. Matt Ewald won the Kansas Amateur at Kansas City Country Club eight years ago. Jacob Bishop plays at Wichita State, a good player. Like, how many guys have this opportunity? So you just kind of got to think and just, you know, you just got to sit back and think, it's just a game. This I'm doing what I love. doesn't matter what happens. This is How cool is this? I,
0: I think you hit on a good point, and I, I don't know if it I, – I think it only comes with age that you kind of – Maybe you don't entirely quit caring about what people think about you, but you realize that what people think about you doesn't really matter. Exactly. So you just play. Because I do you, still care. Yeah. Whether it's business or sports or life or whatever, you just kind of start blocking that out versus trying to figure out how you please it more than anything.
1: Exactly. Because don't get me wrong, I want to go into a tournament and like I want to play well. It does matter to me how I play. I want to play well. But at the end of the day, worrying about what other people might think based off my performance, I don't give a shit. And if people bring it up to me and they'd be like, oh, my God, what happened in this tournament? Oh, you shot this. You shot that. What happened? You know, okay, I'll address it. But then 10 seconds later, they're going to forget about it. I'm going to forget about it. No one gives a crap.
0: There, there's a guy, I listened to a guy, um, his name's Gary Vaynerchuk. He talks a lot about business and he, one of the things he says is, I care what everybody thinks about me, but I also don't give a shit what anyone thinks about me. And it's kind of <laughs> that same approach. Like I want to impress you, but if I don't impress you, I'm not worried about what you have to say. Exactly. So I get it completely. Um, kind of transitioning out of like the golf career type stuff you have like everybody's bucket list of courses to play already checked off what are your normally i ask people what's your favorite course you've ever played what are your three favorite courses you've ever played Ooh, to date
1: i'd have to you put me on the spot there a little bit um I've played a lot of good ones. I've been very fortunate to play a lot of good courses. Um, one of the ones that's, I mean, I've played St. Andrews, Pebble Beach, Harbor Town, all the courses at Bandon Dunes Golf Resort, uh, Spyglass Hill. Um, the one that really, uh, Prairie Dunes here in Hutchison, Kansas, just about 45 minutes away from where we're at. I would put that just up there just next to like some of those. I mean, but uh, Carnoustie in uh, Scotland was pretty special. And St. Andrews is obviously really cool just with all the history. But I mean, besides like two or three holes out there, I mean, the rest of it's just kind of ho-hum. That sounds really uh, stuck up to say because it's the home of golf. But same thing with Pebble. I mean, there's about all the holes that are right off the coast, like 6, 7, 8, like you can't name a better stretch of three holes out there. But then the inland holes, like uh, what is it, 11 through 16, they're just kind of like basic golf holes. But uh, I mean, I would have to say Carnoustie, um, there's a course at Abandoned uh, Dunes named Abandoned Trails, it's a Cor and Crenshaw design. Who Corin Crenshaw are becoming like the premier course architects in the world today? They did Sand Hills, Nebraska, which I haven't had the chance to play, but my brother has, and he still won't quit talking about it, how good it is. So Carnoustie, Bandon Trails, Spyglass Hill was pretty special. It was just a good mix of holes kind of on the ocean, holes kind of on the sea. But then, like, also holes kind of in the uh, for it was like a forest, like, kind of inland holes, but they were awesome, and the golf course condition was pristine. Uh, so I, I guess if I had to answer your question, it'd be those three right there.
0: <laughs> so a little side note, and we talked about this last week. Uh, I met Ben Crenshaw on a flight back from West Palm Beach. To last summer, summer of 2016, and uh, he was coming back from designing a course in the Jupiter area. But uh, we talked a little bit about golf, a little bit about life, and then at the same time, they have a place, uh, Cabot Hills, I think, somewhere in like Canada or somewhere that they had just built like an Unreal abandoned tire track off the middle of Canada. Um, Unique to sit and talk to him more than anything, but you're you're totally spot on about those guys being the premier golf. They're killing developers. it right now.
1: When they designed Sand Hills, I think Crenshaw was quoted saying that there's a hundred and like over a hundred golf holes that I could design, and I have to somehow find a way to narrow it down to eighteen wow. off the property that they were working with. And uh, if you've talked to anyone that's played out there, it's just. It's really a special place, and they've renovated a few courses like Pinehurst Number no. Two. They totally renovated, and guys are just raving about it. Abandoned trails that I played in, at a uh, in Abandoned Dunes, unreal. It was my favorite course out of all four that are there. Uh, yeah, and Crenshaw is one of the best dudes around. Anyone that's ever ran into him, they just say he's just a, just the best. Super friendly. He loves golf history. It just He's just a total bro.
0: <laughs> Where's the? What's the one course you would like to play that you haven't played? Ooh, Augusta.
1: <laughs> As anyone would probably say. You're not say, the first
0: person to say that on this. But podcast. I
1: mean, if I could, my bucket list number one before I die is to somehow, some way, get on Augusta National and play it. It just—it's the most unbelievable golf course i've ever seen with my own eyes i was lucky enough to go to the masters this year and just i've seen that golf course on so many highlight reels and so many past tournaments played there that i already felt like i knew every inch of the property without even actually being there but once you step foot on it and everyone will tell you this once you like once you see it in person. You'll be blown away, and people told me that all the time, and I was like, okay, yeah, whatever, big deal. But it's so true. Once you get there, it's it's unbelievable. It's it's almost as much accolades as it gets. It's almost underrated. It's unbelievable. There isn't a bad golf hole out there. Every hole is thought out with such just imagination. Uh, there's so many holes where you got to cut it off the tee and then draw it into the green, or draw it off the tee, cut it into the green. Uh, TV doesn't do it justice. It makes those greens look huge. They're really not that big. And with the way they undulate and the tiers in them, there's only a few places you can put the pin, which makes them even smaller. And uh, it's long. So it's it's kind of crazy to think how low those guys go out there, because it's not, it's not an easy golf course. And it's unbelievable. I, if you're a golf fan, you have to go out there. You went out there,
0: 2015.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you. I remember your uh, reviews of it were kind of the same way. You're kind of blown away by it. And
0: well, what was your first thought when you like set foot on the premises?
1: Hilly. <laughs> it's crazy how how hilly it is out there. And people say that, and you're like, okay, whatever. But when you, it really is. Got some elevation in it
0: there's no way tv can do it justice i remember when i first walked in we walked in through the main entrance gates and you're kind of on the driving range and the chipping area and i was on the cart path looking at the chipping area in the driving range and i thought it was tucked in like astroturf i thought they tucked it in under the sidewalk and then when you look a little bit closer, you're like, wow, that's real grass. that has oh, been mowed this fine.
1: It's pristine. <laughs> it's unbelievable.
0: It's So if anyone is listening, Max just mentioned that as his uh, bucket list course. I will happily tag along um, to caddy or to play, but in some capacity, uh, we would both like to get out there. So if anybody's listening, we're, we're game for that round. Yep. <laughs> um next question um favorite golfer all time
1: without a doubt phil mickelson and i'm a left-hander so i'm a little bit biased but that's originally what drew me to phil was the fact that we were both left-handed but after following his career and watching interviews and Seeing some of the stuff that's posted on social media, I don't know if you saw that video the other day of him interacting with that, like... Oh, I saw that. The little kid. Six-year-old kid at the TPC Boston. If I could hit a three-wood 260. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, mid-round. Phil's asking him, like, how's your golf game? What would you do here? Go for it or lay up. He's just a man of the people. I've had the pleasure of seeing him in person more than once. And each time he's more than gracious to give a fist bump, and to say hello, and just look you right in the eye, and just acknowledge your presence. and And I feel like that's how I, I would like to think that's how I'd be if I made it big. And so, just a guy like that—I mean, how do you not like a guy like that? I just Phil is just the man. He's people say he's fake because they see him on TV and he does the hat tip and. It kind of looks phony, but that dude is genuine as hell. But, second, I mean, Tiger, obviously. We all grew up worshiping Tiger. He was the man. Unreal talent. Did things no other golfer in history has ever done, including Jack. And I'll be the first to say or argue that Tiger's better than Jack. I know he doesn't have the major record, but I don't give a fuck. Tiger's unreal. 2000 US Open winning by 15 shots, only player under par. He was 12 under, second place was three over at Pebble Beach. That, in my opinion, is the best golfer ever at that point in time. That is unbelievable. Um, but I've always said if there's one guy I'd like to be on tour, it'd be Dustin Johnson. And the reason I say that is because he's a big, strapping young lad He's not ugly by any means. No homo. His wife is Paulina Gretzky, who's a smoke show. He's an unreal talent. He bombs it. His father-in-law is Wayne Gretzky, the great one. And he doesn't have to have a squeaky clean image because he's not a Jordan Spieth or a Rory McIlroy or Jason Day to where he has to be the one that carries the PGA Tour where he has to do long interviews and he can't get in trouble. He can just do his own thing. And he's the number one player in the world right now.
0: I've never really thought about it, but you just summed it up. He's the number one player in the world right now and you don't ever really think of him that way. Like, you always think of everybody you just mentioned before him.
1: Yeah, because that's all they ever talk about in the media is Rory and J-Day and Spieth. It's like, but here's this guy that's one like I don't know, four or five times this year? Uh, not five because he's, just...
0: I think he's four. Three or four? This week would have been five if he would have won.
1: I mean, and if it wasn't for a couple lucky shots by Rory last year in the Tour Championship, I mean, he would have been the FedEx Cup champion. And he's the number one player in the world right now. And we're not even, like, really talking about him.
0: Golden question. Did he really slip off his back patio? <laughs> Uh,
1: That might have been a false story. That might have been (laughs) fake news. Although I can say I was highly disappointed when that came out because if there was one guy I wanted to watch hit balls in person, it was Dustin Johnson. And the fact that he hurt himself just... Because I think he was paired with Bubba and... uh, I think he was supposed to be paired with Bubba and like Adam Scott. And they were the last group on Thursday... And we were posted up right behind 12-T on Thursday at Augusta. So we would have gotten to watch him hit and maybe follow the rest of his back nine. And he wasn't there because of a quote-unquote slip back injury. Who knows? I don't, I don't buy it. I don't know. Who knows what happened? Yeah. That's the thing. That's what I love about the PJ Tour. It's like shit like that can happen, and you never know if it's... The truth or not, they hide everything. I love it.
0: You've, you've caddied uh, web.com events. You've been around web.com guys. What, in your mind, is the biggest difference between a guy that competes on the web.com and a guy that competes on the PGA Tour?
1: Putting and mental game. All those guys on the web stripe it. I mean, you watch those guys hit range balls, everything's pure. It's... You, you see a guy, and you watch him go from sandwich to your driver on the range, and it's like, how are you not like shooting 59 every time you teed up? Because they just hit, and I know it's on the driving range, and there's no pressure, and everyone hits it better on the range, but it, it just makes a different sound, and the PJ Tour is the same way. Those guys hit a good two. But I just don't think there's that much separating the two. It's so hard to get on the PJ Tour. I mean, you have to come in the top 25 on the money list in the web.com to get your tour card. And the guys that are at like 26 or 50 are just as good as the guys that are at 1 through 25. It just, It's just difficult. It all comes down to who gets the ball in the hole because they all hit it good and who can deal with the pressure. And that's why it's so fun watching the web.com Uh, playoffs or the last three events of the year to see who's going to get their top 25 tour card because they'll always show the guys that are at like 26 27 25 24 and you just see who deals with the pressure better and the guys that ultimately deal with it better get their tour card and go on to have successful careers on the pj tour justin thomas was in wichita uh
0: Three or four years ago, yeah, I
1: mean, not maybe not even that long ago. I remember seeing his name on the driving range, and I was like, Justin Thomas. I was like, Who's this guy? He's number four in the world right now, you know. And in, in the matter of two years, so what's separating the two? Not much, you know. There's only been three guys in history that have gotten to the PGA Tour without going through some sort of Web.com or Q School. And that's been Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, who are arguably two that well. Tiger's arguably the best player of all time. Phil is arguably top five, top ten player of all time. And then Speeth. I mean, Spieth won. He got a sponsor's exemption into the John Deere, and he won the tournament. And he ended up doing so. That win got him exemptions into a couple more, which he played well in, which got got him enough points to be a captain's pick for the Presidents Cup. And the rest is history. But, like, those three are the exception. I mean, everyone else has to grind it out. They got to play a full season on the web. They got to Monday qualify. It's just, it's so tough. And Justin Thomas is one of those guys that, like, started from the bottom. And look at him now. I mean, he's, I I don't know if he's number one in the FedEx Cup, but he's got to be close. He has to be up there, yeah. And he's, I know he's number four in the official World Golf ranking as of today. And it's like, that guy was just in Wichita like a year or two ago on the web.com, like trying to get his tour card. And now look okay, at him. He's a multimillionaire. He's got the world at his feet. It's just, it's crazy. And he's but,
0: 24 years? Yeah. Old, 25 he's years? He's younger old. than us. Yeah. He'll be around for the next 20 years.
1: It's just crazy.
0: Uh, dream Foursome. Where would you play and who would you play with?
1: Where would we play Augusta? <laughs> I'm such an Augusta National brat. Uh, dream for it. it would have to be my dad my brother i know that sounds super freaking cheesy but it would have to be those two and it would have to be tiger no god that's tough
0: make it a fivesome
1: uh if it's a five some tiger and phil and it'd be fun to see those guys play together <laughs>
0: <laughs> it might be a foursome by the time you actually yeah. finish
1: i just it sounds so cheesy to say my dad my brother but those were really the two people that got me started in golf and so if I had to exclude those two, let's say Tiger, Phil, DJ, and me, those four, that would be a pretty. And if if we we're gonna make it a five sum, a separate five sum, and we we're gonna say he came back to life, it would be Arnold Palmer because that guy just seemed like he was just the goat. But so I got two different five sums. I know that doesn't really answer your question directly, but the course we're playing doesn't matter we're playing Augusta because that place is so crispy
0: <laughs> last two questions i ask everybody this favorite sports moment you've ever participated in
1: Ooh. like as
0: a player as a you were on the field or the course you made an impact oh made an impact well
1: i only played two years of high school basketball the second year as a sophomore I was on the sophomore team, so... I didn't really have any epic moments growing up. Probably my senior year, uh, high school, we won state as a team. And uh, not to try and live in the past, but we had enough talent that we probably should have won it all four years. But we'd never got the job done our first three. So senior year, high school state tournament... Winning state as a team, going into it, not even really as the favorite. Hutch High was kind of the favorite, and we ended up beating them by 20 shots. Like we kind of blew everyone out of the water. Uh, we won by 16, and just my being my last tournament as a high school golfer at Capen, uh who has a tradition of winning team state championships and having individuals that have won a lot of state championships. Uh, getting that title our senior year and having my score count as one of the four uh, was pretty special. So I yeah, that would probably that'd probably be it.
0: Last question. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, favorite sports moment you've ever witnessed?
1: Oh, uh, I'll never forget Mario Chalmers shot against Memphis. Uh, that's just one of those moments I'll never forget. Exactly where I was. Where and were ex- you? I was in my basement and uh, I can't say who I was with for confidentiality reasons. <laughs> I was with uh, Cody Lonergan two girls. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, my parents weren't even there. They were out of town, they were in California. I flew back home a day early because I had school the next day and they stayed. So we were at my house and we were fucking around and we were watching the national championship. We were in my basement. Uh, that shot I mean I'll never forget where I was when that happened Uh, and then that same year Tiger made the putt at Torrey Pines to tie Rocco Mediate to send it into a Monday playoff at the U.S. Open I will never forget where I was I was sitting on my couch in my living room I can remember like everything it was like probably 6 p.m. like sun was kind of like setting and I'm watching this tournament, and I'm like, God, there's—he's playing on one leg. I'm like, there's no way he can do it, and he somehow persevered and made birdie on the last hole, sending him to a Monday playoff. And it just—I'll never forget when he made that putt. And I'm sure as many of you golf fans know, I mean, you've seen that putt a million times. It almost looks like he—it's going to lip out, and it somehow catches the right edge and falls in. I'd, I'll just never forget that. That was probably one of the most. Epic golf performances ever. Just as far, the fact that he won that tournament on one leg is just unbelievable. Uh, so those two. When the Patriots won the Super Bowl against the Seahawks, when they picked that pass off in the end zone.
0: I I thought you were gonna say when the Patriots came back from twenty four to three or yeah, twenty. Three. I think it was twenty eight to 28 three. To th- that was if you would have said that that would have been three straight guests who named that as one of the moments they were Yeah,
1: me. I mean, that was unbelievable, don't get me wrong, but I just never thought the Patriots were going to win the Super Bowl when the Seahawks What there was some...
0: curse caught a ball yeah. on his back. Yeah. That should have been batted down. It should have been an incomplete and pass. Butler I think tackled him and he didn't quit on the play. if he would have quit on the play he would have walked into the end zone, tackled him, and then I'm pretty sure two plays later or whatever, ever picks it off the um, games.
1: Unbelievable. I never would have th- And I love Tom Brady. I love Bill Belichick. I'm a Chiefs fan, but I love those two guys so much that if the Chiefs aren't in the picture, that's who I'm rooting for. And I hate the Seahawks. I There's just so many guys on that team I can't stand. So... When they got the ball down to the one yard line and I knew they were going to give it to Marshawn Lynch and he was just going to easily run it in and they decided to pass and the Patriots picked it off and won the game. That was probably... I've rarely been more happy in my life. That was unbelievable.
0: So that was the last question until you brought this up. You mentioned the Patriots, you mentioned the Chiefs. They play tomorrow night, first game of the NFL kind season. I was tomorrow. Who's winning and what's the score? Where's it at? Foxborough.
1: Oh, Patriots. What's, I, a, what's the score? 34-19. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even going to be close. That's probably pretty safe. <laughs> yeah, just Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, just at home. And Chiefs are good, but I can't ever confidently believe that they can beat the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl. And everyone knows that the road to the Super Bowl runs through Foxborough through. and the AFC. And... If the Chiefs can't beat them in the regular season, how the how they gonna beat them in the playoffs? So, I don't think they're gonna win. I think the Chiefs are gonna be good this year. I think they're gonna make the playoffs, but I think it's either gonna be between Oakland and uh, New England to get to the Super Bowl this year.
0: All right. Well, with that, uh, we'll sign off, Max. I appreciate you joining us. Yeah. And, thanks uh, for having me. Episode six, Low Side Podcast. There it is. See you later. See ya. Okay. That's a wrap on this week's episode of the low side podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, feedback, criticisms, uh, please reach out to me. My email address is Michael at I would love to hear what anybody who listened thought and any way we can do better. And lastly, if you have a guest or or would like to be a guest, please reach out to me. Uh, We're looking for as many interesting people and interesting stories to tell as possible. Um, Not always around golf, um, but but usually with some bit of golf thrown in the middle. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.